If you don't already know our guest on The Year That Made Me Today, then somehow you've managed to miss a lot of great Australian and international films and television over the last 50 years, while Brian Brown's been starring in stacks of it. Titles like The Thornbirds, A Town Like Alice, Breaker Morant, Cocktail, Gorillas in the Mist, to name just a few. But lately, there's been some new, perhaps unexpected titles popping up on Brian Brown's long list of accomplishments. His first book, Sweet Jimmy, it was a collection of short stories and was shortlisted for the Best Debut Crime Fiction Prize, the Ned Kelly Awards, last year. And in 2023, he's releasing his first novel, The Drowning, also in the crime genre. It is a cracking read that kicks off with an especially gripping first chapter that pulls you in as a reader and would also make a pretty compelling opening scene to a movie as well. Brian Brown, it sounds strange to say it, but congratulations on The Drowning, and welcome to The Year That Made Me. Thanks, mate. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, one of your roles that I remember in my early years was the Shirley, which is the story of an itinerant single father and his daughter. You grew up in a single-parent family. Could you tell us about your early years and maybe how it did or didn't resonate with that role? Yeah, well, I, was born, I, I grew up in the western suburb of Sydney. We got given uh, by my mother. She brought my mother and, and, and my sister and me up. We moved to Panania when I was about four and Christine was about one and a half and we were in Bradfield Migrant Hostel uh, waiting on a commission house because that's how it worked. You went to those places. They weren't just migrants from overseas. There were Australians who mm. were waiting for a house, went mm. there as well, mm. public housing. And um, you lived in Neeson Huts. I remember it very well, you know, like it was fun, you know. And it, like when I think about it, it, it it was fun and it was clean and you had underneath the play and and my mother was able to look after us there and we were warm and and looked after. So I, I, I remember that and even though I was young, I remember it as a very loving sort of place, other people with their kids waiting to get a, a house. But before that, because my mother was... Um, her parents had died at an early age and she had no siblings. So she didn't have a very big connection of people. Mm. There was the odd aunt or something. And we, I remember we would um, stay at their place for a few months and then maybe another aunt for a few months and like that. And there was a lovely lady in Marrickville that let us live there for a while. And that was all until we ended up with the house in Panania. And I just, you know, it's funny, I think about that just after I got married about 30 years ago, 35 years ago. My sister and I took mum to dinner with um, our partners and uh, I said to mum, what was the hardest part about, you know, the early days with us and everything? And she said, meeting the rent. Yeah, now, I would yeah. never have known that. I was going to say it must have been really hard for you, I mum. would never have known that at all mm. um, because she never whinged. I never saw her crying. Maybe she had a tear at night went before bed or something, but I never saw that hardship. But she was one of those people that was like, that's my life in front of me, let's get on with it. Mm. So, you know, she cleaned houses. She took great pride in cleaning houses. She always spoke highly of the people's houses that she cleaned, whether it was a butcher or whatever. She admired that they'd got ahead in business and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So um, I had a pretty good upbringing. Mm. Mm. You mentioned Panania. I reckon if there was a prize for the most famous resident of Panania, which is a suburb of Western Sydney, probably be a line ball call between you and Steve Waugh, I reckon. But you've got a lot of affection for the place, haven't you? Yeah, and then around the corner, a lot later, Ian Thorpe. Yeah, right, OK. Melpera. Yeah, all right. So it's and, pretty crowded uh, up the top there, actually. You know, there's a few, <laughs> few people, a few of us came there. You know, Steve and Mark were, were just up, up in Picnic Point there. I have great affection for it because the truth of the matter was I stayed there till I was 25 mm. and at 25 
I went overseas. But I know I learned all the things I needed to know about life in that period of growing up there. Mm. If there was a bully up the road, you worked out, okay, how do I get round him? Uh, crack a joke or Waitley's gone inside and duck around the road. You know, you worked out how, to, how you had to manoeuvre life. You learned, mm. you learned skills um, and, and, and it was very adventurous too. You know, you're in swamps playing, you're up in streets, up in the roof of houses, having gangs when you were six years old. Uh, don't know what the hell we talked about, but, you know, <laughs> we had a gang. So, you know, I, I reckon I learnt. And also there was the church and so the church was a big thing in those days in mm. those towns, you know. Mum used to go there whenever and, and go to the priest and say, does anyone needing anyone to clean, you know, and, they, and he'd go, oh, yeah, Mrs So-and-so wanted someone to clean. So, so it was a, 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 you know, it had its community position and, and you were also, you know, being at a Catholic church, you know, um, there was a certain values and moralities that were shoved at you, which many of which made sense, maybe not in the way they kept telling you, but mm. made sense as you uh, got into later life, I think. Mm. You mentioned 25 being a big turning point for you. Uh, and I think that brings us to the year that made you. But just before we get to that, were you, at the age of 25, were you already an actor? No. Right. No. I, um, I was a, a salesman at the AMP, right. an insurance salesman. But I had started doing four years, I'd done four years of amateur theatre in, in, in Sydney at a place called the Genesian Theatre until I was uh, 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 from the age of 20 to 25. But I was also a salesman then, so no one knew where the hell I was during the day as long as I got the figures in on the Friday. <laughs> but um, I spent quite a bit of time down there because it had, it had grabbed me. I didn't yeah, know what it was, but it had grabbed me. How did you get into it? Well... You know, the big companies in the old days, like the banks, the insurance companies, they were big. People worked there for 40 years and then they left there, but they met their partners in many cases there. They got their mortgages all there. So the companies had to look after people. So you'd have a, a, a skydiving club or a cinema club or a car, car, some sort of car club and whatever. The AMP had a drama club mm. and they had a thing so they sent around a thing when I was about 21 saying they were having an end-of-the-year review and if anyone would like to come on audition to come in after work. I didn't know anything about what that meant, but I thought it might be socially a good place to go up to. I'd meet people I hadn't met before, particularly girls. Um, so I rolled up there and they gave me a piece of paper to read and they said, have a look at this, then we're going to get you to read opposite someone else. So I did that and they said, okay, if you want to be in it, come to rehearsals tomorrow night. And I couldn't wait for the tomorrow to happen because I was going to do this strange thing called rehearsal that I had no idea what it was, but I knew I wanted to do it. Yeah, right. So, mm. well, I don't think AMP could afford you for a corporate video these days, but obviously um, that set you on the way. And that brings us, Brian Brown, to the year you've chosen for the year that made me. What year have you chosen? 1972. And why is that? Because I'd been doing amateur theatre for four years. I was at the AMP as a salesman. I was a good salesman. I knew how to sell. Um, I'd studied to be an actuary. I knew I didn't want to be inside doing things. So at 25, I thought, well, either I give this thing a go that I really love, which was I was in this amateur theatre, or I just stop pulling my put and go out and, and have a profession, mm, get down. into the business yeah. world. And it was a really easy decision. So I sold my car, bought a ticket to England and started knocking on doors telling everyone I was an actor. <laughs> and how long did it take you to convince people and what sort of, you know, like what was it like um, learning the professional trade in England? 
Well, I think this comes back to why 1972. You know, when I think back on it, um, I'd really like to meet that bloke in 1972 now that when I'm selling my car, I'm getting on a plane, hmm. I'm going to act England and going to become an actor from the suburbs of Penania. I'd like to meet that guy <laughs> because it's very adventurous. Yeah. Um, the, 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 one of the biggest things that happened to me was on the way to England, a mate came with me and he was, we were going to the Olympic Games and then he was coming back. Uh, we stopped in Athens, got a boat out to Mykonos and there was a lady met everyone that got off the boats and for a dollar you'd get to sleep, you'd be given a bed and we were staying for a couple of nights. One of the blokes that was in the same house was a young uh, fella from the Chelsea uh, Public Housing and we got talking and he said, what are you going to England for? I said, well, I, I want to I be in the theatre, I want to be an actor. He said, oh, my father's in the theatre. And, of course, my antenna went up really fast. And I said, what's he do? He said, he's a fireman. Now, at that spot, I could have just drifted off and gone, oh, I'll see you later, mate, I'm going to get a coffee. But this man had someone that was in the theatre. I'm, I'm closer than mm. what I was 10 minutes ago. Yeah. And so he said, because every big theatre in London had a fire curtain and it had, they had to have a fireman there. Mm. He said, go and look up my dad. So I looked up his dad. His dad said, uh, look, I can get you uh, pushing scenery in one of the big theatres in London. So now I've gone from knowing a fireman in the theatre to having a job pushing scenery backstage and now from that something else would happen and something else yeah. would happen. And so in the the end of um, that year, 1972, I ended up pushing scenery up in the north of England. I rode away and got in the north of England and through that circumstance I got to be an actor in theatre and education where I go around to children's schools twice a day doing things. So I started acting in 1973 professional. I remember getting my first paycheck for 14 quid and thinking this is great. <laughs> On the year that made me worth speaking with actor and writer Brian Brown. And Brian, um, from that theatre in education role, you obviously went on to make so many memorable films and TV shows. Uh, you've talked about how making Gorillas in the Mist and being able to work up close with both Sigourney Weaver and those incredible uh, gorillas was a career highlight. I wonder... What role, looking back, do you think did you find most challenging? And is there is there a piece of work you're most proud of yourself? I think they're all challenging in that when you open your mouth, whoever's watching this has got to believe you're that person. Hmm. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got to have that glove on all over you that, that, that you know, that people believe you. But you mentioned this, surely. I think it's a, it's a beautiful book. And we didn't stuff it up. Hmm. And I was very lucky that the young girl that they had to play opposite me on that was so fantastic. And every day just trudging the roads in South Australia with her just felt so real. And it's a beautiful story. Hmm. I, know that, I know it's my daughter's, both my daughter's favourite show that I've ever done in Sashira Lee. Hmm. Um, and I do bump into women in their 40s now who go... I used to sit and watch that with my dad mm. and love it. So that was good. But um, I don't know. I mean, they're all challenging and they're all not challenging. You know, quite truthfully, you know, I've never, I mean, I do my research and, you know, if I'm going to be a, a, a crim, well, you know, I, you know, I don't know what research you do for that, but it all feels natural. And I'm going to be a cop, it all feels natural. <laughs> you know, if I'm a scientist, I better study up on what the science is I'm supposed to know. But really, you know, um, it's a lot of instinct 
I read the script, I like the story, I know what the character's meant to do and then they say action and I hope something comes out. <laughs> what about playing uh, up against, or not against, but with some of the big names? I mean, you've been on the same set as Sigourney Weaver, as I said, Paul McCartney. What's it like when there's some sort of iconic presence also on the set for you? Yeah, um, look, the long and the short of it is they're all just people, <laughs> you know, and they're all working hard and they have their own personalities. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, you know, one of the biggest stars in the world today and been for a long time is Tom Cruise and Tom's, you know, Tom's a very hard-working bloke. In fact, I did a movie with him uh, called Cocktail where we threw bottles around and all that. That wasn't in the script, the bottle throwing. <laughs> They were, we were just bartenders with the conversation to have on. And then he went out to, uh, on the town one Friday night in the middle of rehearsals, came back on the Monday and said, I've seen this bloke throwing bottles around. Why don't we do that? So we all went, the director said, that's a good idea. What about you think, Brian? I said, yeah, I'll do that. And so we then had to start learning how to do it. And we mm. got very, very good. Yeah. And in fact, that's the thing that most people remember about that. And it changed the nature of bartending for probably the next 20 years. Yeah, a lot of broken glass in a lot of bars, thanks to you guys. Yeah, and I got a lot of free drinks all over the world. <laughs> Fair trade. Uh, we're speaking with Brian Brown on The Year That Made Me. And we've talked about how you got into acting, Brian. How did you get into writing? Well, you've got to remember that I've been telling stories for 50 years. Mm. You know, and that's not just as an actor. As an actor, I interpret characters, but I also produce, and I've produced a lot of stuff, and so I'm working with writers. Sometimes I'll have an idea myself and then I'll get a writer and we'll start to develop it. Otherwise, I might buy a book, uh, or rights to a book, and then we'll start to develop the book with writer. So the actual process of telling the story mm not having the story wander off in no man's land but where everything is moving forward in some way is, a, is I guess, a, a, a skill or something that I've learnt in storytelling. So, and I've, I've written the pictures for some, for some shows mm. and in writing that I have to write the story and um, which, which the book I did before this was Seven Short Stories and one of those, in fact, was a show called... Uh, an idea called A Time to Do, which I got the idea from um, I was watching CNN one night and there was these six people in Hong Kong who had just been uh, released from jail and they were all around my age and the judges said, you're not drug mules, you're just stupid. And they'd all been caught in scams. Mm. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking if I was one of those blokes, I want to find out who did this. Mm. I went, ooh, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> so then I started to write a story about how a bloke who wasn't a cop or anything else had to try and work out who was behind what he did. Well, I kept writing that and eventually became a short story of 17,000 words and a couple of people read it and said, that's a really good short story, mm. you got any more? And then long and short of it I did and I ended up getting the book. So I think I'm just in another on another platform of storytelling in what I'm doing. I tell stories. I don't think of myself as a writer. There's too many damn good writers out there. But, I, but you know, I guess I'm telling stories uh, on the page. Yeah. One thing that I thought might be different from performing at least, although you've mentioned the producing and sort of script doctoring as well, uh, is writing from the perspective of another person, getting inside the head of another character. Could you tell us a little bit about that and maybe how that relates to some of the characters in The Drowning? I think that's the real attraction. That's the, I guess that's the creative side of it. Um, it's not just writing the words down or tapping the words down. The fun of it is going, you come up with a character, 
who is this person? Mm. How do they think? How do they make their decisions? And in my book, The Drowning, there's quite a lot of characters, but I like to find a way for us to understand what their life's journey has been. And I like to get inside their heads where they're sometimes asking themselves, what the bloody hell am I doing here? <laughs> and why am I knocking around with this man or woman? So that they're questioning. We always question ourselves in some way. Some mm. people question themselves a lot. Some people, you know, question moments about themselves. But I like the questioning that we, un, we, we undergo as human beings and I like being able to go in the mind of someone and ask their questions of them. Mm. Brian, uh, the Women's Weekly says your female characters are particularly impressive. Could you tell us about that part of it, like writing uh, inside the head and from the perspective of women as well? Well, women have played a big part in my life yeah, and they've all been awfully strong. <laughs> um you know, my mother was an extraordinary being. I learned a lot of things from her, a lot of things from her. I I observed her without knowing I observed her because all the time with her I was thinking like, why don't you let me go out? You know, like it's always she was the, the, the barrier I had to get over. What I didn't realise was those barriers were giving me disciplines and making me understand that some things were not the place to go. So I learnt, learnt that from the <clears throat> Rachel, my wife, is no pushover. <clears throat> my two daughters are very, you know, straightforward and don't muck around. So I, I, my, my influences, my, and don't forget I didn't grow up with a father. Mm. I never had in the house, and this is why, I, you know, it's, it's strange. I understand I don't really have ambition. I, I'm competitive. I know that. Mm. But I don't have ambition because I never had a bloke in the house going, oh, we've, I've just got this rise and I'm going to this now, I'm taking over that section of the what's on. I never had that journey. I just had a lady who went, I'm cleaning Mrs Jones's house today. So that I'm sort of very influenced by women. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy the influence they've given me like my mother was my father, mm. you know. She did both jobs. Mm. I learned from both things from her, how to be a bloke and how, how to, you know, uh, ha observing her as a woman in life, you know. So uh, my influences of women are, are huge and so, I you know, like they've got to be in my stories, a bit hard for them not to be. <laughs> um, and so I'm interested in getting into their heads you know, around me I've had the inside of women's heads coming at me a lot. <laughs> Brian, you mentioned that you'd like to meet that bloke who decided to go over, you know, sell his car and go over and work in uh, England and become an actor. If that bloke met you today, would he see the same person or do you think you've changed significantly since 1972? Well, you know you're going to be very much the same in certain respects. But, you know... I'd probably go, oh, my God, I'd probably say to a bloke of 25, hey, mate, you sure you really want to go and do that? <laughs> you know, whereas at 25 it's like I went, no, I'm going to do this. You know, most people would have thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out pretty well. Um, are you working on another novel already? No, I was, uh, the thing about, and I guess this is the same with every writer, I mean, I didn't know I was going to write The Drowning. But, you know, Alan and Unwin were on me saying, have you got another story there or whatever? And I said, I haven't got a story. Until driving along the road, I suddenly came across this character of David in my head. And I went, 
I want to know what David's on about. Mm. And then I was able to set him up in a certain situation at the front of the book that drives the whole story. Um, and I, I was driving recently going, well, I haven't got a story, I haven't got a story. And then suddenly a character came to my mind. So I think, I think I've, got a, I've got a character that I want to write about. The gem is there. The current book is The Drowning. The author is Brian Brown. The year that made him is 1972. Brian, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Pleasure, mate. Loved it. It's been great chatting. And we always finish The Year That Made Me by asking our guests to nominate a bit of music. What have you chosen for us? Most people I know think that I'm crazy by Billy Thorpe. (laughs) And dare I say, why is that? (laughs) It's appropriate. (laughs) Brian Brown, thanks again. Thanks, mate. Most people I know think that I'm crazy And I know at times I act a little hasty But if that's my way and you should know it Then in every way help me to show it Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.